Hello and welcome to the Exanimo podcast. My name is David Clark. This episode we have Chris and Suzanne Arlight from Arlight Vineyards. Just a side note quickly, I import them to Australia, so there is that uh, commercial aspect to it. Uh, we spoke in December, uh, prior to the beginning of the 2019 harvest, and I wanted to chat to them about the beginnings of Arlott Vineyards and how this pretty revolutionary uh, wine producer got started. It is my opinion that these guys are among the three most important producers in South Africa at the moment. It was great to sit down and chat with them about how they got started, chatting about the challenges and the, uh, and the positives of making wine in South Africa today. And I think their experience is shared um, with a lot of other new producers that have been coming out of South Africa currently. So I think um, it's an important uh, hour and a little bit. So thanks for listening. Just a side note, um, I only have two microphones. So I gave Suzanne one and I gave Chris one and I didn't have one. So when I speak uh, on the recording, um, I'm a bit muffled in the background, but that's probably a good thing. Thanks very much. Cheers. <clears throat> I grew up in Somerset West. In Somerset West? Yes. I was in Somerset West from born, okay. born in Somerset West, and then we moved to Jeffreys Bay when I was a son of dad. And then we moved back to Somerset West to the same school when I was a son at nine. What's that? How old are you in Stan at nine? Uh, 16. 16. No, 16, okay. 17. Okay. And then we moved back, and then I, I wanted to become a marine biologist. And then I went to a workshop in UCT, a marine biology workshop you couldn't study at Stellenbosch. Okay. And after that weekend, I decided to study something else because I didn't want to go to UCT. Oh, really? Yes. Why not? I don't like it. English? Yeah, very English. Yeah. Oh, but very is, is that why you didn't like it or is no. it? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why you didn't like it. All my friends went to Stellenbosch. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So, so I didn't know what to study. So my brother's roommate said, why don't you study winemaking? Looks like so much fun. And I said, why not? And then I did it. <laughs> really, really, that's really that what happened. Yeah. Were you into wine at all? Or? No, 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 no. Yeah. Didn't drink wine. I drank semi-sweet wine by the glass mm -hmm. at the spur. Yeah. I thought that was a bit more advanced than my friends. Okay. So I drank late <laughs> harvest. Yeah. More, advanced. Advanced. more advanced than brandy and coke. But more advanced. I did not drink red wine, but somebody told me that it's fine because you can make white wine. So I was like, that's also fine. Yeah, that's okay. how I and started. So, and then you enrolled? In I enrolled the winemaking. In, yeah. in, at Stellenbosch uh, University? And I, didn't, I never thought to study anything else. I was, that's what I was going to do. Okay. Become and what year did you start that? 2001. 2001. Yeah, first okay. year. Yeah. And Butchie, you grew up in Cape Town? Yeah, I grew up in, in Valchemut, uh, in the northern suburbs, for the first few years. And then when I was in uh, what's called grade two now, we uh, moved over to Rondebosch in the southern suburbs, and then we lived down the road from the school. So, so we were like seven, eight then? Round then, yeah, something like that. And my little brother was born when I was eight, I think. Um, yeah, we moved to Rondebosch, and I grew up, had a very kind of sheltered existence in the in the burbs, down the road from the school, so we used to walk home from school and stuff. That was pretty cool. And um, got into winemaking also a little bit by chance, I think. I wanted to. Uh, both my folks are in the in in medicine, and I was quite keen to get into medicine. But I didn't really have the the marks at the end of high school, um, and uh, there was a potential kind of um, a way around a way around that of doing a first year BSc and then getting into medicine if you got the marks. But yeah, first year Stellenbosch and I collided, you know, with great fanfare and, and BSc is what? jubilation, celebration, a lot of. 
you know, not a lot of focus. <laughs> so my, my focus, on the, wrong focus on the wrong thing. So my chances of getting the marks at the end of the BSc first year were, were basically zero. But what's BSc? Bachelor of it's Science. It's a Bachelor of Science, and I started in with cellular and molecular biology. I was pretty good at biology at school, uh, or at least at uh, the physical sciences. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I enjoyed some of the stuff. I didn't like some of the some of the other stuff. I thought was kind of pointless. And then when it when it came to having to decide what to do, when it became clear that I wasn't going to get into medicine, I had quite a few friends studying wine making um, in Simonsburg in the res that I was in. And um, yeah, and then I, I found out that I could change a few um, a few modules and uh, jump across. So I had to work really hard for six months, and that paid off. Okay. Okay, so I started with the guys in their second year, and I jumped over. Okay, and what year was that? That would have been 02. 02, okay. Yeah, so I started in 01 with Suzanne. In fact, Suzanne was uh, the first girl that I ever noticed on campus. Oh, really? Yes. So you knew hardly. each other in We didn't know each other, but... but um, I saw this girl walking around. I saw her. Okay. <laughs> it was, anyway, so it was uh, in, in first year when you do the initiations and stuff in your boarding houses. They make the girls' boarding houses and the boys' boarding houses sort of what they call skarkle, you know, so you go and like line up opposite each other and then you have to kind of walk in like lock arms and walk somewhere, you know, and we were walking to the, f it was weird, yeah, anyway, and then I saw her, and so then South I, Africa yeah, <laughs> and so, anyway, she had a boyfriend and I had a girlfriend and stuff, but I, I saw her and then I just went straight, I ran and I, I made sure that I got to her first, just put it that way, <laughs> and then, and then I didn't see her again for quite a while after that. But she was actually the first girl that I ever met at Clemson. But you were studying the same things, but you didn't see each other? You were, there was no crossover? Well, we, I, we sort of reconnected in that second year. Oh, so this is like when yeah, we were still doing that's the, right. I didn't okay, see her so. for about a year and a <laughs> half, and then I, we started studying the same thing. But I don't think either of us were exemplary students, so we didn't always overlap in class much. Mm. Mm. Were you both bad students? That's Very bad, yeah. Very bad. If I could have done it again now, I would do it, do it differently. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was irresponsible. But would that not change? Spoiled. I mean, you, know, you don't know what stupid. ramifications that would change otherwise. Maybe you would nah. be a very uh, different one and being a very different person. I don't know. I'm just putting What do you think, Will? I don't know. I didn't... Maybe you would have been spotted as an academic and maybe you would have still worked at the university. Mm. As a research assistant. But probably not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't... I mean, Stellenbosch University had virtually no influence on the wines we're making now. Yeah. Yeah. That was more, that was the kind of travel experience. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, both, I think you both finished the degree at the same time, like the same year? Yeah, of course, yes. we both no, finished No, no, uh, yeah, well, we of. did actually. We both took the scenic route in different ways. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was, I had, like, I literally had a fifth year with two modules that yeah. I needed to do. Yeah. But she, she tripped up in her second year on an exam. That one we'd... subject, because we studied together, that's before we started going out. Yeah. We studied at the study center. It was open 24-7. So you oh, could okay. go there after hours to study. Mm, yeah. A lot of fun, yeah. next to the Nielsi. So and the Nielsi yeah, was yeah, also yeah, open. Yeah, okay. And we sat there, um, dier nacht. What's dier nacht? All night. All night. We studied until the sun came up. And didn't, I did not pass the next day. Oh. And then I Yeah, we spent a lot of that evening we actually do just talking about that other whole stuff. Huh? Yeah, because of that one <laughs> night. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Boki. <laughs> so I cost her a year and uh, you, you were a huge asset that night, weren't you? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was, that was kind of my fault. Anyway. Um, so by the, by the time you finished Stellenbosch, um, the course, you're mm. a couple, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yes. Okay, what happened then? Well, Sue went to work in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I, I couldn't join her because I had this big um, family road trip planned that my folks had been planning for years, where we drove we drove from Cape Agulhas to the, the Nordkap, which is the most northern point of Europe. So we did that in 06 during the Southern Hemisphere harvest time. So I missed that harvest. At university, we'd had to do vintages to get the degree. So she'd worked at Neil Ellis and um, where else did you work? Just near Neil Ellis. Mm. And I'd worked at um, Flagstone and, and Fairview. Uh, anyway, um, so so she went to, you were at Tintara, right? Tintara and McLaren Vale. Yeah, and then I was doing that Africa road trip, and then we, we sort of met up again in, in California, you could say. So we did the we did the Napa harvest in '06. And what was after that was was Perth. Yeah, yeah it was Perth. We then so it was Napa '06, and then Perth '07 was well it was it Hortons, a massive winery yeah, yeah. on the western seaboard of Australia. Yeah. And that was actually Hortons pretty. White Burgundy. Hortons White Burgundy, exactly. And Jack, Jackie, Jack, Jackie, Jack Man, the wine. Was it still called Hortons White Burgundy at that point? Or no, they changed it to H- White Classic. HWB. Yeah. It was called White Classic, but you could yeah. still buy um, at the cellar door. You could buy sort of fifteen-year-old bottles of White Burgundy. Yeah. Uh, and it was great. But uh, that, yeah, it was we, actually a pretty cool harvest. We worked um, night shift the entire harvest. Oh really? Mm. Yes. Six till six. Yeah, six till six. Yeah, wow. So then you get home at six in the morning. And you have to wait for the shops to open at eight. Nine. Or nine. Mm. And you have to stay awake until nine yeah, before you can yeah. go shopping. Yes. Well, you didn't go to the shops before you went to work? No, oh, didn't like we slept. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Idiots. No, we were just no, shit. I mean, after tired. three months. Yeah, after three months, we were you just never, Your body wiping. never gets used to it. No, to it's had like rings under our eyes. And yeah, we were, how long were you doing it for? We were in Oz for three and a half months or more. That's a big trip. Yeah, that's how long you could go. We went as long as we could go. Mm. And then we went to Southeast Asia. Yeah, but the, but the night shift thing was because they pay you a bit more. You know, yeah, we were willing to do anything loading. for a bit more cash, so they paid you a little more. And you were also like a big place, or was that more...? I, I was at a nice place <laughs> called Visa Tui. They also have a castle in Napa. It's like a new castle. It's like Disneyland. Nice. Yeah, it's like a brand new castle. The Disneyland no, it's, of wine. Yeah. But like, it's the places where the limousines pull in there and they've got like they, they, 500 they, different cheeses there at the they, cheese yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it has a helipad. It probably has a helipad. It's very Napa. Yeah, it's right. very like. Yeah. Yeah. They sell all their wine through their cellar door. Okay. All of it. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's an amazing they business. Yeah. It's and inside. Yeah. No, old Daryl, the head man there, he's got a lot of vision. That's for sure. Not everyone will share his, you know, aesthetic sort of vision, but he's got a hell of a lot of vision. That's so Southern sure. Hemisphere harvest at Horton's, in, is it 07 harvest? So 07, yeah. 07 night shifts, and uh, that's the first place I really got to like aged white wines, those old white burgundies. Okay. And uh, yeah, we, we got to, and we also got to travel a little down to Margs and down to Great Southern Denmark, that whole area with a friend of ours, guy Isn't called Isn't that Kenny. also where you learned to love Riesling? No, Riesling was before. Uh. No, wait. Riesling was in 07. It was, it was around Nuno. that time. Yeah. Yes, we, we cut him out, out of the story, story completely. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. lived with a, with a Portuguese guy. Called Nuno. Nuno, Nuno Ferreira de Abro Pereira Campos. Amazing names. He was a hell of an interesting guy and he loved Riesling. So he started, started talking to us about Riesling. How does he fit in? He was a fellow intern at the winery and we were at housemates. Orton. Yeah, But okay. we'd met in Napa. Okay. Yeah, funny how the people you travel with. Um, yeah, what happened after that? 
So we had Hortons. When did then you know we, that it then, then I think the after Horton, I think we came back to South Africa. Oh yeah, Africa. Southeast Asia. We were in Southeast Asia for about 10 weeks. So just, just to clarify, when, why were you traveling all over the world trying to make wine? Are you just trying to get cash? Is that pretty much? And were you like trying to plan what you were going to do for the rest of your life? No, I think at that stage we were just, just we just wanted to work and, and, and see a bit of the world and just have a bit of fun. Mm. I think the the the, the vision came a bit later, you know, like the what we wanted to do thing, and, and then we're, and then traveling, you know, as a goal to achieve that, came in twenty ten, I think. So yeah, so while I went to the big winery in South Australia, was to pay off my student loan because okay. of the um, good salary, and then we went back to Australia again just to make some cash. So you worked there three times, I worked there twice. To travel, yeah, yeah. so that's why we So she's back. worked at Centauro Horton and then later we worked together in Clare as well. So we've worked together there twice. So after so after the Horton stint in 07, it was Southeast Asia for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we were so stingy there because we'd worked pretty hard for the money. So we, we really stayed on the cheap, but it was the most excellent holiday. I'd love to do that again one day. A um, lot of time in Thailand and a little bit in Vietnam and Cambodia and stuff. Um, then we, we came home and um, where did we work after that? We, got, we worked in um, South Africa. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. We got jobs. Um, Sue was at Lynx and I was at Hillcrest. She was in Franschhoek. I was in Durbanville. And um, this, is <clears throat> this is yeah working up to the 08 harvest. So it was the winter of 07 still. Okay. And then we got married at the end of 07. Mm-hmm. Um, then we worked the we worked the 08 and the 09 harvests in South Africa. At those small wineries, and we had um, we had a small little house on a farm outside of Stellenbosch. It was pretty idyllic because we were kind of newly married, um, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. It was really great. Um, and then um, I think by the end of the '09 harvest, we'd started feeling a little. How would you describe it? Well, but you wanted to. But you wanted to have um, babies. And then I said, I'm, I don't want to have children before I, before I see Europe because, I mean, I travelled but I haven't been to Europe. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, no, well, no, no problem. Let's let's go then. Let's go for our holiday. I said, and I said to him, I don't want to go for two weeks because you get 15 days leave. I want to go properly. Mm-hmm. And then we, he said, okay, fine, let's just quit our jobs. Yeah. And then we did. And we. Yeah. So you're, you're both on South African passports. Or? Yeah, yes. the green number. Yeah. World's greatest travel document. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we, yeah, I mean, it was a recession time, and our folks were a little. Some of our folks were a little worried that we were quitting stable jobs because we had no plan after our travel. Yeah, we no, cashed we in all our savings for plane tickets. We had lent, lentil soup for a year. Yeah, it was about a year. Lentils and, and split pea soup just to save bucks. And we, like we, you know, it was kind of a weird time of our life. You know, people would want to invite us out, but they'd know that we were so stingy at that time. That, you know, they said, don't worry, we'll pay for supper. Or we used to do bring and bries, you know, where people would bring meat and we'd bry, and then we'd always end up with a bit of extra meat for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Those like strategies of the poor, mm-hmm. you know, so living in the extremely frugal lifestyle to try to save to get to Europe. Yeah, they've got toast for three months. You know, you know the vibe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> Toast and jam, <laughs> and, and lentils. <laughs> lentils give you savage heartburn, so it was yeah, lentils, lentils and gaviscon. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so then we we got and through 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 friends and connections, we got a job in 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 Santa Milan for the '09 vintage. Um, and by the time we were going to go over there, we kind of figured out that Bordeaux and South Africa, you know, had really nothing in common from a climate point of view. Um, 
we'd been to a couple of we'd been to one of Evan Sadi's pre-rat tastings, which made a huge impression on us. Um, it was yeah. I think up till that point, we, you know, we did what we learned at Varsity, and we liked. Although wines from South Africa, because we weren't that exposed to European wines yeah. before we went to Europe. True. And but I was so bored with the whole industry and with wine. And I remember when we before we left, I thought I didn't even like white wine. I said I don't know. There was. It just felt like there was something missing. Yeah. I wasn't sure. So what, what were you drinking at that point? What did you? What did you? What were you enjoying? Tassin, he Tassin was Bay. making Sauvignon Blanc yeah. <laughs> in Dervenval. I was making so Sauvignon we, we, in Dervenval. We no, not making. What were you drinking? That, that. that. Yeah, we're drinking what we were making. She was yeah. making pretty good Shiraz and big, uh, big reds. Big reds in front shook, and we yeah, were drinking those. Stuff, yeah. 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 yeah, if we could get them, you know, we were pretty poor, so we drank what we could get. Yeah. What, yeah, what we could get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we didn't drink that much wine. We weren't that excited about, uh, to be honest. I mean, about wine then. Yeah, and that was that was the time when. Well, actually, just before we got married, it was that was the time when Riesling kind of bit me because I. It was all kind of happening then. I, it, that's not entirely true. I mean, I was I started reading a lot then because of Riesling, and I, and even when I was working in Devonville, I wanted to, all I wanted to do was Riesling, um, and, and that's when I started looking in Cirrus actually for what we've got now planted. It was way back then already. I started marking stuff on Google Earth for Riesling before we started our light vineyard. Um, and what about what are, what is it about Riesling that got you? It was just the first time I actually it was what it was. A guy in Somerset West called Cornell Spies, who's moved to Australia since. He was Evan's partner in Sequila. Mm-hmm. And he had an unbelievable cellar. And he was, he, my, my dad knew him through radiology. He was in, in radiology. And, and I wanted to really, for, for our wedding gift, I wanted to get his on two special bottles of wine. So I went to him with a thousand rand. <laughs> and he gave me two bottles, which were each worth probably more than that. Um, gave me a 98 Spore Castell. Um, and just a normal, not the homage, just a normal rouge. Mm-hmm. And um, 1996 Lavaux Saint Jacques from uh, Armand Rousseau. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, then we had those two, you know, and it was like in a special wooden box and everything. And it, when I went to get those wines from him, he had a, a really simple bottle of, it probably was an 05 or an 06 cabinet from Utsiche, uh, Wurzgarten, from Lewisen Open. Okay. And it was just the first time I'd experienced that. I was I just couldn't believe that wine. I thought it was so ethereal and perfect and and light and great. And um just seemed like original. It seemed so original. I like that. And um yeah then I was fascinated with Riesling after that. Then I thought that's that's what got me reading about wine was Riesling. That was my segue into into really reading a lot about wine. Um how did we get here? So before we left for Europe. Before we left for Europe. So by the time we, we were going over to Santa Emilia on an own line we kind of knew that Santimillion wasn't the Mediterranean. It wasn't similar to the Cape, but we were still super excited because the place we were going to work was great. And it did turn out to book to be pretty spectacular harvest from a, a work experience point of view. From a tasting point, not from working. Well, tasting and working. I love, didn't you like the work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It was, a, it was, yeah, it was Look, wonderful. we sorted a lot of grapes, that's for sure. Um, but we, yeah, as so they, they, they seem to have got, they opened up a lot of wines for you as well. Well, Hubert, the owner. Yeah, he th- so he cleaned out his cellar when we arrived, and he had a few. I think thirty oh, bottles. No, it's more. No, it was a hell of a lot more. Fifty bottles. I think it was Sixty bottles. <laughs> it was a lot of wine. Of wine that he didn't didn't want, and many of them had um, no labels on because it had been in the cellar for so long that it's started to. 
We could see no, and some of them had, 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 but they had branded corks, a few of them, so we could see what they were. What they were, so we just lined them up. Had Lebanese like, wines, we had English wines, we had Israeli wines, we had a lot of weird the, French wines, Southwest, all kinds of stuff. And the assistant winemaker they invited us for supper a few times, and it was such a real authentic French um, experience. You know, his wife was an amazing cook, and I mean, one of the meals he and he opened amazing wines for us, and he helped to educate us. Yeah. And one of the meals he made us a, a cock of Van she did, and he used a whole bottle of um, of Van Jorn 63 or 69. 69. It, was the, it was the co-op, Chateau Chalon co-op, so we had one bottle in the food. She just emptied it in, into the pot. two bottles on the table, and it was a, cock, it was a pulled out of cock of Van Jorn with yeah. more mushrooms. And so, that really, I mean, we didn't want to come back after our visas expired, but after the three months. For a year. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I mean... Yeah. So we tried to extend our visas when we were there because it was, I just never wanted to leave again. But then we had to because we were rejected yeah. from our passports. But, uh, but then really good experience again. Claire's a really cool little town. And Napstein had some great vineyards like the Ackland Vineyard um, in Springvale. Yeah, that was the first. So that was really starting to chase Riesling. Because I really wanted, we, we thought we wanted to make Riesling one day. So we wanted to understand how they do it. And, in the new world and how they do it in the old world. Mm -hmm. So that was that was sort of the plan for the next year. Mm -hmm. um, but there was always this sort of hankering as well in the you know this feeling of Mediterranean wines and you know there's a lot happening in my mind mm -hmm. in, in, I think in our minds. Um, yeah, there's it's, it's never. I mean, very few people have a, yeah. a singularity. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of things and there's a big discovery going on. Yeah. You know, like the, uh, and each door opens, opens up more doors. Yes, yeah. exactly, and and every question answered poses 20 more questions, you know, it's wonderful. You know, that's why I think the title, I, I greatly admire what Master of Wine means and how, how difficult it is to achieve that, but I think the title is a, is a misnomer. Mm. I don't think it's possible to master wine. Yeah. Yeah, no, wine is not, not, it's 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 not, um, unusual and privileged um, um, situation is that my my folks have got a small share in a house in a very small village in the Sears Valley in the south. Okay, whereabouts is that? It's close to a town called Banyolso Sears. It's about okay. 40 k from Avignon. Yeah. So in the in those travels, you know, going to working in Angelus and, and and the next year when we came back to Europe, we were able to use that as a base now and then, yeah. you know, to, to to be there and to um, yeah. To go and taste from there, go to Chateau Neuf du Pape and stuff, and go up to the Northern Rhone. It was pretty special times. Um, okay, so then we went to work in Clare, right? Mm. Made Riesling there. What what, year, what vintage for that was that for? Would have been ten. Ten. Southern mm. Hemisphere ten, yeah. Okay. And then, then, uh, then we had some. <laughs> then we just had some hard yards between then and getting back to Europe. We 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 just needed money. You know, we needed to keep busy for a couple of months while we were stuck in South Africa before being able to go up to Europe again. So, we, my folks had, were, had just sold the big old house that we grew up in and bought a smaller place in Claremont. And that was basically a, um, a building site. Okay. Like full on, there was, there was one functional room and a functional bathroom, and, which had been like converted to a kitchen kind of thing as well. And there we, and we stayed there for a few months together, just the two of us, um, while she waitressed at uh, Need Bakery and I, I was like a wine 
one student at uh, Lakalom in that Constantia. Wasn't, that was wasn't your only job. Oh, yeah. You were also a security guard. The security guard, <laughs> yeah. That's a little known fact. What, what, what were you protecting? <laughs> uh, so it was, I was, um, yeah, that was, a, you know, people don't know that story. I, um, I worked <laughs> as a security guard flying illegal immigrants out of South Africa. Really? Yeah, so I knew the guy who's, who, who had the, the government tender for, for flying illegals out. And, uh, and so deporting people? Deporting people, and so I would fly to Joburg. We'd get them out of um, the older guys, the more experienced ex-cops and stuff. Would get them out of the holding facility mm-hmm. in the, it's called uh, Landela, I think. We'd get them out of there, and then make sure they didn't pull a runner. Get them on the plane, and um, and fly them back to Pakistan or Hong Kong. Or I did one weekend. I did four flights to Malawi. That was pretty cool. Full of like full airplane. <laughs> So you're the you're the you're the bouncer. You're basically the bouncer to make sure that no one pulls a runner and that no one does anything stupid. And, and did that require any training, or are you just? No, no. I think they thought that the rugby and the boxing background would be yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, amateur. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you, you yeah. Muscle mental, so. exactly. Yeah. Met a been, met a lot of nice people on the plane, and um, <laughs> they would go, "Okay, Chris, we'll see you maybe in three months." Oh, they're trying to get back. Yeah, exactly. The Malawian guys, especially. I mean, the Malawian guys were so relaxed. They had families here in South Africa. They were like, okay, see you next month. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool guys. Anyway, I love Malawi. Anyway, um, so that was a time when we were just doing anything we could to get some money back together. And then we went over to Europe again. We got our visas. The plan was to work in Germany. Uh, but that summer sharp of 20, contrast to sharp working contrast, in France. Yeah. Sure. But that, that, that summer of 2010 was really quite a special summer. I mean, we, that, that, for me, that was the most formative time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in Santorini. Um, and that's, I mean, obviously quite touristy, but it was spectacular. And we stayed in Ia on, on that. It was brilliant. In those cave houses in Ia. And we got scooters and we drove around the island a lot and tasted a lot of wines. And... I mean, you know, we, we got, we spent a bit of time at Hatsudakis, and I mean, if you can taste those wines and not, and, and, and I mean, if you don't, if those wines don't make you think, mm. you know, then maybe you don't love wine, you know, <laughs> they really made you think, because they, they just had this like amazing nervous energy, you know, really, really, I mean, Santorini's hot, mm. it's hot, hot, you know, but the wines are um, fantastic. You know? So at this point, you're sort of like... Emerged in wine, are you sort of like yeah. By this stage, we've been reading this? like I've been reading incessantly about wine and just obsessing about it. And you, Rocky, are you the same or are you just? Um, not I was a bit more follower, I think. Yeah. I was excited about um, about wines. Mm. Um, after I went to Europe, it changed everything mm. in an instant. So yeah, I, I don't know. I knew that we were going to make our own wine. Okay. I didn't exactly know we were going to do it. Yeah. But that was also my dream to make a little bit of wine. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you started Santorini and then you obviously went made your way towards Germany, I'm assuming? Or? Yeah. Well, I just on that last point, you know, Cezanne, Cezanne's relationship with wine is mm. is much more natural and and uh, as it should be. You know, where my early relationship with wine was much more vain and Western and and um, ambitious, you know, trying to conquer it. You know, trying to learn as much as possible, and how can 
to satisfy the ego, you know, how can we get really good at this? And, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, where there's, she's always just drifted into it and enjoyed it, and it's a I kind of envy that because there's, yeah. there's intensity and obsession. Yes, <laughs> on one end. you know, and there's acceptance, as, you know. Yeah, and, I, I like to think acceptance yeah. on the other. And I, I mean, yeah. from my point of view, I think both are right and both are wrong in different ways. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've, I'd like to think that I've drifted more to to her side of her way of being with wine, mm. just in a more relaxed kind of way of just enjoying the moment with wine and stop trying to obsess about knowing everything about it. I mean, by, by um, the very fact that you spend so much time together, I would think that both of you have sort of absorbed each other's... Well, probably, but right now for the last few years, Sue's been so, so busy with the kids mm. that, I mean, you know, studying wine is, is really a sight, you know, it's mm. way on the back burner. Mm. Um, but back in those days, yeah, 2010, it was post-Santorini, we... It was, it was awesome to see and struggling to see um, what grew where and, and why mm. and what worked where. Absolutely. Um, that made it, I, was, I did not expect to see that because in South Africa everything was just planted everywhere. Mm. So, okay, yeah, yeah. So you saw yeah. patterns emerging? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think that sort of formed the basis of what we did in the end. Mm. Yeah. yeah 20, so what was after Santorini? We went to Roussillon. Um, you know, on the recommendation of, of uh, old Craig Hawkins, said we need to go to Tom Liver's place and taste there. Um, you know, and Craig is, uh, whether you don't like his wines or like his wines, he's one of the most, you know, pioneering, uh, courageous winemakers. Um, he's really like, he does what he believes and he mm. sticks to it. You know, it's, it's not, not easy to do that. Mm. He's very focused. Yeah, driven and I mean, that's, I really admire that, you know, so... So on, you know, on Craig's recommendation, we went to... But before we went there, we went to visit Craig while we were still working in South Africa. Yes. Yeah. And we walked through the vineyard with him and I thought he was a bit strange. And he said <laughs> he doesn't... And we asked him, at what acid does he pick? And he said he doesn't measure it. And I was like, oh, not really. <laughs> and we had this conversation in the car of, like, he's talking rubbish. Of course he must, you know, of course you measure it. How can you yeah. not... And he said, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and later, yeah, later we discovered that he was years it. ahead of his time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so old Craig put us in touch with Tom and, um, and Rosa had told us that we need to go and see, um, I think it's called Banyol Sur Mer, mm -hmm. uh, which is right on this base, close to the Spanish border. And we, we stayed, in, where did we camp there? We camped, we camped uh, freaking it was everywhere. raining and we didn't have a where, it, where was Italy? Was Italy the previous year? We went to Italy, the pre anyway, I can't even remember, it was Italy the previous year, sorry, so this was 2010, so we were camped. That, that was the campsite where we had to sleep in the toilets. Yeah, we slept yeah. in the loose there because it started raining and we had this rubbish little Chinese two-man tent that had really been everywhere around the world with us. And, and, and a few holes. Yeah, it was a little leaky and and, yeah, and Su Susie had tonsillitis basically, she wasn't feeling too good and, um, and we just got out of the tent and went and slept in the loose. And then when people came in early to start brushing their teeth, we were sort of, looked like a couple of homeless people, like saying, get out of here! <laughs> Turn the lights off! <laughs> and I was, oh. Got any food? And then like, <laughs> and later that oh, same day, we were, we, were, we were in Kals, you know, tasting with Tom and with Lionel Gorby and stuff. And mm -hmm. what a day that was, you know, it just made such a huge impression on us. Um, remember Tom opening a bottle of 03 Matassa Blanc, um, you know, his wines have changed a lot since then. Uh, um, but what, what he was, <laughs> there's still, I mean, he's, he's also another guy who's a really um, got such a strong sense of conviction. But, um, you know, that Matassa Blanc 03 was sensational, out of Magnum. Uh, also, warm climate, you know, 
and then yeah, after after that we went to um, Trab and Trabach in the Mosul, and that was where we went to work the vintage. Do you remember what Tom said to you <laughs> at the end of that evening? Because we had a, we had a long conversation with him afterwards. Um, it was a late evening, so yeah. we had lots of wine, and I remember when we walked to the car, and it was so it felt like I was in such a dream, and when it was everything was so surreal, and we learned so much in one evening. Mm. And then he said to him, and he was explaining to him how to um, farm and because we wanted to farm once we get back to South Africa. And I just remember before he got into the car and he said, Chris, hang on. <laughs> and he turned around and said, Chris, just remember, the vines know what to do. <laughs> and that made such an impression on me. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember. remember that really well, actually. <laughs> In the parking lot. Anyway. Um, and after that, it was the Mosul. Mm. So 2010. Oh, uh, that place is it's just such a weird um, space in my mind. I don't know about you, but like it's this real bittersweet thing. Because mm. it's just so ridiculously beautiful. The wines are so amazing, if you like that kind of thing. Um, and so original and authentic. But, the, you know, we worked with a guy who was kind of shy and, and not a big social life. Although he was a, such a gifted winemaker. So we had zero social life. We were extremely lonely. Mm. Um, but so was, was, it, was it just you two and him? Or? It was just us two and him. Um, and a German and girl. A, a German girl and a Polish girl and a, another Ukrainian guy. Who was nobody, well, no, she, she spoke English. She spoke a bit of English. But, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a wake-up call, you know, to what, what, what the Germans go through to produce that wine. He was actually a Swiss guy. And he kind of revived the old Wolf of Gold Gruber Vineyard. Um, close to Traben Trabach, close to um, Stephensburg, and um, there's uh, there's no glamour in in what they do in that valley. I mean, they just work really hard. They just graft. It's steep, hard slopes, you know. Um, small teams and tiny, tiny parcels, small yields. They don't get that much money for the wines. Mm. It's really like a proper labour of love over there, you know. Mm. Um, so you I mean you mentioned that Germany was a sort of a real formative time for you? Why is that? Why was that? Well, Susie, was it formative for you as well, or is it more? It's very. Yeah, right. Yeah, the wine, the wine making. Oh, really? Yeah. In what way? Um, well, he. Well, what we'd he, heard from Tom, he was really doing as well. Yeah, but I didn't. See, well, we didn't see Tom do it. I mean, you had to see it with your own eyes to believe it, because just everything that we, um, that we were taught not to do, sort of, what he, he did, and. He, Such as what were you, what were you well, he, specific, like, he didn't, oxidizing um, juice, really so-called unsafe wine making, you know. Yeah, and he, but he, he didn't have a formula, so he, um, he was very clever the way that he made wine because there's so many different types of wine um, styles that you make there. You know, sweetness levels, sweetness and levels, stuff. Yeah, and he, could, you know, he adapted it to the season, which was great. Firstly, about to the um, specific vintage, and then he just didn't add. Sulfur at all at the um, at the press. First time we'd seen like no sulfur at the press. And I mean um, the grapes weren't clean. It was a tricky year. We had to sort like crazy. In 2010 was a tough year. We had to sort a lot in the vineyards. So you pick with <coughs> two different kisses. You have a red one and a and a yellow one. You have a one for botrytis and then one for clean grapes. Mm. So you, it was very. Really, his vineyards were beautiful, like like full on organic farming. So in his rows. There'd be butterflies and wild strawberries and stuff, you know. Yeah. And right next door, this guy's 
chemical warfare and it's just it's just blue slate and but, vibes. But, it's yeah. yeah. But right next door. Right like next door. A meter no. this way. And and there was just something it was another dimension in Daniel's wines. We tasted a lot of wines oh, and Daniel's wines were just alive, you know? Yeah. And it's the first time we'd seen that like organic farming with natural wine making hand in hand. You know, and uh, yeah, the and zero sulfur. And juice, uh, like you just left it. And yeah, the juice looked like, like your awful. shoes. You know? Obviously, in an environment with growing grapes, is not that easy, you know. Yeah, so it was not just the the, the fact that he was doing natural winemaking and, and farming that way. It was also the sa sacrifice, you know. Mm. Like the sacrifice that sometimes required. Obviously, we've been working harvest, so you know what it's it is. It's a personal sacrifice. Or yeah, well, yeah. you know what it is to work hard mm. if you're doing vintages and stuff. But, I mean, Mosul was a different level. Mm. And you can see, and that's their that's their whole life, you know. So, so you work all day picking from from um, dawn to dusk. Yeah. Dusk to dawn. You started about <laughs> eight because it's too cold before then. Dawn to dusk. Is it during the day? In the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dawn to dusk. <laughs> <laughs> so sunlight hours you pick. Yeah. And when the sun goes down, then you and work. Summertime. Then you mm. make the wine. Mm. Yeah. So it's pretty full on, and I mean it. it the other thing that makes an impression on you is that it's 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 somewhere between one degree and four degrees while you're picking, you know. So it's pretty chilly. Mm. So you know your hands just have to do what you tell them to do, even though they don't want to. Yeah. Um, so that sure secretary yeah. Right so you like kind of pick with gloves on and stuff. It's, it's just a hell of a. And you also you pick from the bottom up because yeah. they say that if you start at the top of the hill down, you might you trip much. and then you might break one of the <laughs> one of the vines. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So they've got their way of it doing like things. Sounds like the voice of experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they've got their so way of doing like things, and and um, it's just it's an extraordinary place. I mean, that's real terroir, you know. And it's mm. I think the fact that the Mosul is, you know, in parenthesis dying, people say. Um, I think that's a, it's almost like a tester or a microcosm of the world of terroir, you know. Mm. That's why I'm so glad now that that, that real terroir is, is much more in focus than it was 10, 15 years ago in certain circles and I think the West is waking up to it because places like that need to be celebrated and protected, you know, get better prices. The, the, the coral reefs of... Uh, well, yes, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're just so authentic. The first pastors to show where yeah. So we've, we've talked about the, the natural winemaking thing and with Tom and with uh, with Daniel and an organic farming thing, but the... Um, yeah, but I mean, Daniel Daniel was a good example of that because his wines were squeaky clean when they came out the other yeah, side. Yeah, amazing. Stunning and, yeah. So apart from adding sulfur, what is he doing? Anything? <coughs> he isn't adding anything. Out? Was just with his, with his um, botrytized, heavily botrytized wines, mm. because he said, and it was a vintage thing, he said there was a lot of, a certain kind of spore that he could see, so there was more of this... Um, Gives you like a, a mushroomy taste. So he would do a little charcoal fining of the juice. He said you can't do it to the wine, it kills the wine. So he did a very light charcoal fining of the juice in those cases. But with all the, the stuff that was destined to be spitlers or cabinet, it was just straight into tanks and then down into this very cool slate cellar, you know, in stainless. And it was, it was the, the most simple thing on earth. You know, it was, but you could see how hard he'd worked the rest of the year in the vineyards. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And then he just waits for it to go through. It does what it does, you know. And I mean, there was there was there was a two demijohns of of TBA in his kitchen that had been there for like two and a half years, I think, that was still bubbling it's away. Still <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the, what I wanted to say was, aside from the winemaking and the sacrifice and all that stuff, you know, that summer of 2010, I always say this, but it's really for me like the whole cornerstone of what we're trying to do is that you know Mosul Riesling is a really authentic wine. And, you know, um, New World marketers love to use the word authentic and hardly ever there's, there's hardly ever any real authenticity behind it. 
but like Mosul Riesling, I said to go from Santorini, um, Makibor and Grenache Gris and stuff like that from Kals. You know, those are really, really authentic wines. Yeah. So I think that really um, informed the kind of decision making that we, you know, behind what we wanted to do mm-hmm. when we started. So the whole idea was to make like really, really Cape wine. Mm-hmm. You know, try to find, okay, what's authentic in South Africa? What does authenticity mean? It needs to be qualified by heritage. What is our heritage? You know, where are the vineyards that represent that heritage? Um, how do you make that in a non-interventionist way and really reflect what the Cape can do? Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between, for me at least, there's a difference between authentic and unique. Mm. Um, and that's, and I think sometimes that those two things get, well, I think authentic sometimes is used as a, as a synonym for um, unique. A few unique, yeah. which is a, not necessarily any, but, but I'm not... Well, you can have sorry. unique, you can have unique Cabernet from Robertson, but it's not necessarily authentic Cape wine. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you can have unique spots in Europe, but not necessarily yeah. authentic either. I think authenticity requires yeah. a certain level of heritage to qualify, mm. yeah. Yeah. or at least tradition. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't it's, know. it's an interesting word, and it's, 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 it's obviously a, a word loaded with, mm. with um, uh, objective opinion. Yes. You know? <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, oh, so sorry, subjective opinion. Yeah, and yeah. because because it's a it's a relatively powerful word, it's abused. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, a, mm. it's a, yeah, absolutely. Um, it it, it um, elucidates response, patient mm. response. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> elucidates. That's a fantastically big word. <laughs> yeah. The first language <laughs> English folks are impressive. And it's it? before um, it's before noon. <laughs> <Looney. laughs> this is this is. <laughs> wow, man. Two copies in that. Okay, so end of two. 2010 harvest in Germany, what happens? What, what, and are you there for the full harvest, the whole thing? Yeah, like... absolutely, yes. to, the, to as long as we can stay. I mean, at the end we were pulling out vineyards and doing anything that he would let us do, chopping wood, literally chopping wood and stuff, um, you know, just to stay busy at the end. Uh, a little bit disappointing, we didn't get to go to as many uh, other wineries as we would have liked, mm-hmm. but we did, there, were, there was enough opportunity to taste, and we did taste a lot. Some of us would taste Riesling in bed. In the morning or the evening? Morning, evening. It's a to one. It was a lonely harvest. Yeah, right. It's long, long and lonely and cold, but nice. Yeah. Learned a lot. But learned a lot. So you've come back to South Africa from there, is that what happened? Yeah. <clears throat> then we, was it while we were working there that um, Hans and Mary invited us? Yeah, it was leading up to that time. It was sort of on the cards, but not really official. But yeah, while we were working in Germany, we got kind of the official, please, uh, you know, if you want to start your own thing, let's come and do it on Himmelrad, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. And how did they, how did they, how did But we, we had kind of led, that had, there had been a lead up, you know, we had, for instance, said to Hans that he should plant grapes other than Sauvignon Blanc on the farm, which is what was recommended. Before that, what was the oh, Marianne and my mom were roommates at university. Oh, right, so family yeah. friends. And Hansen, okay. Hansen, my dad are great mates, and oh, they would, as a couple, they've just done so much stuff together over the decades, yeah, you know. Okay. Yeah, they've known us forever, you know. So, um, family friends. And Hans was a successful lawyer in Joburg. Marianne was a legendary school teacher up there, and um, they just wanted a second life. Mary grew up in Job in in Amanus. Um, they wanted a second life, you know, and uh, it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose you could say, the wealthy lawyer buys farm and stuff like that, but it wasn't exactly like that, it was, there's more depth behind it. And they, they chose, <laughs> they chose such a forbidding piece of, like, windy, fainbos pine plantation, 
It was Estonia is hardly arable. Getting the vineyard to grow has been very difficult. Hans is very committed to that, you know, and it's starting to show now the results. But yeah, they chose and and they built a, a barn and a house and it was never intended to be a winery and they sort of retrofit some tanks in there and changed the floor and then we had this tiny winery and we and, and whatever. Somebody equipment. somebody sold the winery. Yeah, we um, are sorry, yeah, the olive kit. Someone sold the olive kit in Tilbach, Bucks yes, Ridge. Yeah. And Hans just bought all the wine kit as well. Mm. So we had all these massive tanks, you know, ten thousand litre tanks and six thousand litre tanks that we didn't need. Perfect. <laughs> So making wine that first year was pretty challenging, you know, like we had a tiny little press and but I was talking with Hans about it yesterday. That. We drove up to series together yesterday and we reminisced a bit. It was such a special time. We, yes, I remember making that first wine in that massive tank and we just worked through the door because it was lying below the door. <laughs> it was below the door, yeah. <laughs> And we didn't want a gas cover, we didn't want SO2. We so. didn't have um, cold uh, so we, bands. We, we it used to freeze Coke bottles Coke and, bottles and, and just chuck them in, in through the, the door. Wine a bit cooler, you know, just because it was a warm summer. And um, that's like wine in a soup bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything cold that we could find, those blue um, freezer blocks. Yeah. Just, yeah, just to keep the thing a bit cooler. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hans, we were talking yesterday in the car, Hans was reminiscing, saying that one of his abiding memories of that vintage was, you know, we'd been sorting in that little press and, and we started pressing. And then he just remembers Suzanne um, taking the, uh, a measuring cylinder of juice, you know, with a little meter and looking at it and tasting it and this broad smile on her face you know for Hans that's one of his best memories of, of those early days you know, it was really really cool it was really like cowboy you know we were out there with Rosa had helped us to find one or two old blocks and we'd found one or two old blocks and right? how did you get to know Rosa? through Brian yeah through Brian before we um, even went to Europe yeah. for the first harvest she'd we been smoking with our heads already <laughs> like feeding us quattro tea and stuff at dinner parties yes. before we even went to to Santa Million. yeah so she played a role in sort of shaping the way we were thinking about wine and um you know was generous with information and uh and just another, passionate about wine intense and obsessed individual absolutely <laughs> yeah she's you know her intensity is part of her charm you know <laughs> some people find her intimidating but if you get to know her she's she's wonderful um you know, so uh, we had so we had this relationship with her, and she was keen to help us because I think she could see that we were half mad with driving around trying to find old vineyards and stuff. And so she'd did, been doing. Did that. Talk to me about the old vineyards part. Where does that, where does that come into play? Why? I mean, obviously that's a that's a an important part of. I, th uh, I think of the story, it, yeah, or, or, or at least your thinking. Where, where did that develop from? What do you say? Um, well. Vineyards are old vineyards. I think it follows on from from the whole idea of wanting to make authentic wine, you know, and then finding what we consider to be heritage vineyards that represent heritage, you know, and very often those are old Chenin vineyards. And then there was the, the the kind of popular idea or understanding that older vines would make a wine a bit more expressive of sight. So, so, so and did you go along with that? That was your thinking as well? That was my thinking, thinking yeah, that, 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 that older Shannon and older Semyon were settled, mm -hmm. were yielding you know, moderate amounts instead of a lot of grapes, and that would be more reflective of sites. So the idea was to try to find great sites that had old vineyards. Okay. And that also, way. yeah, and they were automatically dry land in, in most cases. That's a really good point. So we, wanted, always, we wanted to work dry land from the beginning. Okay. And, all, basically and they were all automatically it, bush vines. Yeah. yeah and does, that, does that go more into the... Uh, goes towards the, the authentic nature of what you're doing, or the dry land bushfire thing, or is that, or is that a heritage thing? Well, I think those two are inseparable. Okay. You know, I think that that's, um, 
yeah, it, 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 it is a fact that, that most of the old vineyards in the Cape are dry farm bush vines or something very close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, 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 the one went hand in hand with the other. Mm-hmm. And um, is there a, is the thinking that, you know, if the, if the vineyards are still there and they're old, they must be good? You know, I've heard I've heard that said um, in right. interviews with Californian winemakers saying that these old old vineyards survived because they were in the right spot, yeah. and in the old days people thought a lot more about about where to plant. You know, um, but I, I'm not sure. You know, I, it, I don't, I I don't know. It it makes sense. Yeah, that, sounds that, right. That argument makes sense, but I'm not sure about why we chose. Correlation is yeah, causation. Exactly. Like like Radio Lazarus, for instance, was 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 lucky to have made it to forty. I think it's probably too much effort to pull that thing out. Because it, it was just such it an extreme sight, you know. There's I mean, no choices to what was in there. Well, or something else in there. Yeah, I mean, you, they could have pulled it out, but, but Radio was was an example of a of a site that would never have made it to hundred. You know, there's just there's too many factors against the vineyard. You know, it's just it's too extreme. It's too rocky. Too dry. Um, but there are sites that yeah, where vines want to get old, mm-hmm. and there's some vines that like to get old, some vines don't. I don't know. So I mean, Shannon Blanc obviously seems to be a fairly obvious choice for if you're looking at heritage and old vines, and yeah. And then Semyon, did you do some research about the the Cape sort of vineyard landscape over the last sort of 100, 200 years prior to that, or was that something you? No, we'd known that from uni- university days. Yeah, okay. You do a bit of history of the thing, you kind of okay. know what was planted in the Cape and. Okay. I've also just been reading some of Tim James's stuff and what he was saying about the history of Cape wine. Mm-hmm. And it was also the time when Urban had just released the first Ovang of the Rex wines. Okay. Um, well, 09 was the first vintage, yeah. I think, yeah, when those collector's boxes. Yeah. So we'd become conscious of Semyon, but that Semyon vineyard started following us around. We just started hearing about it from loads of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, in the space of a week, two different guys told me about it. Mm, not wine people. I and mean, not just, wine folks. Just people mm-hmm. with... Yeah. Connections and family, family connections. And it just made yeah, me did think. we want to make wine? Did we want to yeah. contact his uncle or yeah, okay. something? Yeah. <laughs> and then we went to find this to look at this thing, and then I mean, there was La Colline, you know, and it really is a it's a hell of a vineyard, and it, it was just going to DGB basically, and a part of it still is. Yeah, and then um, the idea of doing Sam with with Shannon. Um, talking about it now, I remember actually that it. It was uh, an, an idea that I'd had um, because of working at La Colombe in that 2010 over the World Cup. Okay. Um, we'd had uh, Hope Marguerite open by the glass and we'd had Book and Note Sam open by the glass at the back. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, at the end of shift when things started slowing down, you know, and you, you had to check the bottles and see how they were, I just decided to see what it was like just to put a little bit of semion in with the Shannon and see how it felt. Mm felt pretty good yeah right. <laughs> so i'd often thought of that you know as like and i kind of wondered if if in the old days south african wine might have by default been that way <laughs> yeah, yeah and i mean probably some of it was in my imagination you know and in my kind of uh yeah, wondering about the past and dreaming about it you know who knows what it really was like you know there's not that much record on it but, yeah. so that's where I mean, that idea part, came from part of this looking backwards but part of it has to be looking forwards as well you can't just, yeah. you're not opening a museum. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's twofold. I'm talking a lot now, sorry. But, uh, um, yeah, so obviously the looking backwards thing gives you a foundation for going somewhere. You know, I think once you've got your identity, then you can you can work from there. I think, you, but you need, I, I mean, the most important word in wine is identity. Mm. You know, I think that's so important. Um, 
but looking forward, I mean, you're thinking about maybe, you know, um, the Cape is, is uh, there's a lot of land that isn't really explored very well from a viticultural yeah, point of view. Yeah. And that's where the Riesling thing kind of, as I said, before we even started our light vineyards, you know, that 2011 was our first vintage, but a couple of years before that, while still working at Hillcrest, I was trying to find sites for Riesling. Uh, and then eventually by 2015, we'd convinced this farmer, the one I was at yesterday, to, to plant for us. So, I mean, you said before that <coughs> Bordeaux and South Africa don't have much in common. In terms of climate, not yeah, really. I would have no. thought Germany and South Africa would be further apart in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're quite right. So, what... Um, what I, what I basically want to show with the Riesling, and, and, and even with other continental grapes, I don't think it'll be limited to Riesling, is that, that what we have in the Cape right now is great. Most of it's coastal, though. So <clears throat> we're very dependent on the, on, the, on the maritime influence to keep us moderate enough to grow wine. But we've got so much territory up in the mountains, you know, specifically around Sierras. I'm excited about that area. Um, that's really not explored, you know, and that is, it's, it's fantastic fruit growing soil and climate and really should be great for Riesling, for Pinot, for, um, you know, there's great examples of continental Grenache in Spain, um, you know, things like that, that I just find really, really exciting. So yeah, the point of the Riesling isn't to, yeah, exactly. And well, cherries for the, for instance, this, this particular farm, you know, the Riesling's at a thousand two hundred and sixty meters up, which is a little bit lower than the Sutherland vineyards, but it doesn't um, really need irrigation, you know, because of the soils and the rainfall. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a pretty amazing situation for wine grapes. So it's not that I'm trying to say that we like, that we like Germany. I'm trying to say that we could be as good as a place like Claire with maybe a, a slightly more, a slightly different kind of style. Claire, they pick really early and ferment everything with QA23 and cold stainless. You know, I don't find that that exciting, but I'd, I'd prefer to see what the cap can do, um, or what the continental parts of the cap can do, let's put it that way. I don't think we've had enough of a chance to get that worked out yet. And in the meantime, obviously between 2010 and, you know, wrestling in the ground, there's been a lot of other stuff going on in Highlight Vineyards. Yeah. I mean, most notably the, <coughs> the single vineyard lines. So coming out of the Cartology project, how did you get to start releasing single vineyard lines? I mean, if you're looking at, was it just a, a feeling that these wines, that these got the, the vineyards are just too good to blend away or what was the, the thinking there? <laughs> Bit of extra cash I think well. exactly, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, no, it's no. all about the money, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, because we always talk about um, a place, you know, identity, um, it makes sense to to bottle them on their own, you know, if you want to talk about real terroir. So, and, yeah. and it was sad to blend them away because you taste them before you blend them away. And I think, especially Radio Lazarus, which was the first one, mm. um, it was such a special vineyard and it just such a reflection of where it was from that we had to bottle it on its own. And that's mm. where we, it's a huge question because that also, it, it will also determine probably the future of cartology. Mm. Poor cartology is, and for the last few years, it's been a conversation we've had. Yeah, it has been. What to do about, about its it? future, you know? because of this question. Yeah, you know, and, and, and idealism versus capitalism and like what to do and is cartology still a legitimate expression of heritage if it's not from one place? All of those questions. 
you know. And but how do you define place? Is it two lines? Well, that's the thing. Lines, <laughs> is it, is it the Western lines? Cape, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So right now we're still satisfied, although the question has been bouncing between us for, for a few years now, we're still satisfied with making cartology, you know, as a way of, of, of utilizing amazing old vineyards that have been getting bad prices going to cooperatives, etc. Mm -hmm. It's a great vehicle for showing people what the Cape's got. Yeah, talk, talk to me about um, yeah. working with farmers who, who were working with cooperatives. I mean, that's, uh, I, I've spoken to Joshua Hubert recently mm. um, about his sort of transformation since his father passed away, mm. going from 100% distilled to 0% distilled mm. as of 2018 vintage, which mm. is super exciting. Oh, Josh, Josh is a rare case because he's a very good farmer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he is a rare case. That's why I spoke yeah. to yeah. um, Has it been difficult? I mean, has it been, uh, have you approached people who, have old vineyards and, and been selling to cooperatives and they're just not interested and what's the the usual I mean what how does that how does that story usually play out? Or is it too varied to It's extremely varied. Probably... So I was gonna say some are good good stories, some are sad stories. I mean yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, the um the, the 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 easy part in the first few years was arriving at a new vineyard and really liking the look of it and knowing that the guy had been getting a few grand a ton from the co op. And just seeing that it's got tons of potential and then saying, okay, well, we'll give you like literally triple your price mm. if you just change this, this and this. But you need to, you need to have it farmed in a different way. Yeah. Well, and we normally approach that pretty slowly as well, because that's it. The, what I wanted to say was it's, it's the positives and negatives. Like the, the Scofbach farmers, you know, the, the Fischer family and the Van Lil family, Rosa did some hard work with them to get them where they are, but they were always willing you know and and just by nature farming families are really really good farmers and the results there you know and you see the vineyards they're farming them well um there are other farmers um you know also like krista she's been just um willing you know it's all about willingness and if we say you know please don't spray this please rather do that please rather scoffle please rather you know suck her like this or you know top a little earlier than you than you used to or you know with it, <clears throat> there are lots of different things that need to be done. Maybe mulching or composting. There. So the, to shift from that, from that cooperative mentality to a, a fine wine mentality is a bit of a shift. And, and it, it, as as you, you said, it, it varies dramatically. Yeah. But there are definitely there've been challenges. Um, but there've been victories as well, yeah. definitely. Um, and I think when people start seeing the results, you know, they start tasting their own wines. That you know, these vineyards that are actually really, really good vineyards yeah. that were potentially blended away before or just landed up in a big anonymous tank. You know, I think they get a, there's a sense of satisfaction. So yeah, what we can do because we happen to have hit this niche is we can offer fantastic grape prices in the South African context. And that's the only weapon we have, you know, is that social pressure so that other producers hopefully also give good prices. Mm -hmm. Seems to be working. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting one. I mean, from my point of view, I see a bit of a more of a macro Situation. I mean, obviously, you concentrate on vineyard to vineyard to vineyard. I sort of got that sort of sense of detail, mm. slightly the big picture. Mm. And it's an interesting one now that there's a lot more guys doing or following your in your footsteps and sort of um, leasing vineyards, buying fruit, a combination of those things. Is it getting difficult to manage all of these um, options for farmers, or do you have to approach farmer with a with a little bit of a uh, collaboration say look you know me and my three other wine making friends can take all of your instead of saying I need two tons mm. the guy's not going to farm differently for two tons mm. is that I mean that that works really well camaraderie but is there competition there as well or is it 
I'm sure all of those factors exist within the normal kind of spectrum of human existence, you know. Um, but the, you know, <laughs> three grands, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, the, sure, there the, the probably is competition. Um, but I think the the camaraderie right now in the Cape far outweighs that in the in the younger generation. Um, you know, so and and definitely like sharing vineyards, we share with Marilise and John with the one block. With actually, we share with Donovan in another block. We share, uh, we share and, and, and it's definitely better for the farmer to say this whole vineyard yes. is going a certain way, so please farm it in a certain way, you know, and the, and the little extra effort. Um, it's tricky with picking dates, though, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes picking dates, we can differ on when the best time is to pick, but hardly ever, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are built-in difficulties, but also built-in advantages. Yeah. So what were the picking dates? And this is getting way off. I like vineyard stopping. Sorry. That's okay. It's important. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, I mean, I see in, in, in Australia the model is that obviously there's no one living on the farm to be a team to pickers. And so they get pickers from outside in. Um, would that be an option going forward if, if you, you know, you obviously, there's a collaboration for, say, Marlies and John to rent a truck? Mm. Is there a collaboration opportunity there for? For them to also have a little team of pickers for harvest, and then they can go in and pick. Or the farmers, yeah, the, in their the, the farmers normally take responsibility for that. There are mm. places like La Colline where we've had to get iron pickers in in the past, mm. um, but generally speaking, the farmers like to be responsible for that. Even now, Anton also wants to be responsible for that. Okay. Um, so it's not as if we're picking weeks and weeks earlier than the rest of the folks. Mm. There'll be a normal picking window of. Um, a week or so in that vineyard, and we'll definitely always be on the earlier side of that week. Yeah, no, um, I guess the Cravens are probably the. They're picking the week before that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but because they were also working in vineyards where people are picking quite late. Yeah, well, the, the, totally well, stylistic choices. Yeah, Mick and Janine are in a yeah in that milieu in Stellenbosch where you know late picking is is the thing, mm. and they're obviously shaking that shaking that whole thing. There were always pickers available for the. <laughs> it's tricky to get to to organise it. Yeah. Um. But where, where were we? Um, sharing pickers and trucks sharing and, and, yeah. and things and just the, yeah. the, the, the challenges in terms of obviously not just working with the farmers but other uh, or challenges and rewards obviously. I mean, it's yeah. like there is a, a camaraderie there and yeah. a team effort. So far it's been overwhelmingly positive, mm. you know. Um, I'm not looking for bad yeah. stories. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, the, I'm just I'm trying, trying to... I want to snapshot the people who don't live here, who mm. don't understand. No, I understand. Um, I, I'm trying situation. to think of... Uh, it is a, a relatively unique yeah. situation here. With well, what, we, what we're living in now, you know, which isn't, hasn't really been well, well defined or discussed or written about much is... Um, but, you know, I'd like to put the name on it. We're we in, a, in a post-cooperative era now. Whether we, and that's going to last for another decade or two or three. You know, we, we're living in that time now where we've come out of the cooperative era, and that's what we're seeing now in the Cape. So that's the dynamic where you've got these large old Shannon vineyards or whatever vineyards lying around, you know, on farms that were previously farmed a certain way for a certain market for the cooperatives or whatever. And 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 how, you know, young small wineries cope with those things, you know, is basically sharing blocks, sharing logistics. That All the things we're seeing happening are because of the, the era we're living in. It might look very different in 20 years. Um, yeah, so yeah. In five years. May do. Yeah. yeah, it looks different to ten I years mean, ago, doesn't I, it? I, I look back because I, I came to South Africa once in two thousand and seven, and the yeah. next time I was back in a wine sense was two thousand and twelve. Oh. 
That was a huge jump. That was a bigger jump for me than 2012 to now. Than 12 to now, yeah. yeah. 7 to 12 is definitely that a big huge jump. Um, yeah. But I mean, I look at, because I use it like um, Cape Wines as a sort of a, a barometer. As the yeah. as the as the, t- the touchstones there. Mm. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see where all these. Where it's going. This new brand is going to be in five years' time when they're, when they've got five, six vintages in market, and maybe yeah. those first two are still on the shelf somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, cool. that's the challenge right now, mm. you know, is to get um, to get South Africa known in, in big markets like the States, for instance, you know. I mean, we're doing great in the UK, but, you know, what, the, what one part of the commentary around South Africa is saying we need more new small wineries and less, so we need, and, and another part is saying, well, where the hell is everyone going to sell that wine, you know. Because we've got, we've, there's so many new brands already. Who's, who's saying the, the, the former there? Who's saying that we need more small? Uh, I've certainly read it out there. I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but there, yeah. there are definitely people that, that feel that way. I, I also personally feel that way. But the the, um, the the foundational thinking behind that is that it needs to be less power in the hands of big wineries, of the three or four big wineries that exist, mm. or big companies, let's say, that exist, mm. and much more power in the hands of, of uh, relatively smaller family-owned operations. Um, that should be the, those who are going for quality rather than Yeah, and how to get to that point. And people lament the fact that vines are getting pulled out in South Africa. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of, of macroeconomics. There's nothing can be done about it. Mm. You know, what? hopefully what remains is good, and, and we can elevate the perception of South African wine by focusing on making really good wine from you know the right grapes in the right places you know <laughs> instead of the wrong grapes that the wrong and that, that's a massive change to what's happened in the last 200 years when there mm-hmm. hasn't been the, the right the right grapes in the right places is a relatively new concept here in a in a big scheme of things it well, was putting what we can sell well i think we i think we lost our way somewhere in the in the early 1900s i'm not sure i think before that there was more of a focus on Certainly, there would have been a thinking in terms of like the right grape in the right places. That's why there's so much Grenache and Palomino and Shannon up in Piccaneyscliff because they figured, okay, this is going to work here. But do you think they had much choice of what they could put in? I think there were academics who were um, affiliated with the universities who were um, associated with big people like Kaviafia and stuff like that who were saying, okay, in this area, this is where you plant your Grenache. So yeah. there was a measure of 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 fit the grape to the place, but you know. But all those varieties are like, known to be. High cropping varieties. Yeah, no, good point. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, yield was, yield was a big thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah no the question. Branding. No, absolutely right. Yeah. No question about that. But I, yeah, there's the detailed focus of the right grab to the right place is new. You're right. Yeah. And brandy's an interesting one. I mean, not, I mean un, universally, globally, people don't think that South Africa and brandy are synonymous. But then you get here and you quickly realize that that's where I mean, a lot of the, the vineyard ends up. Um, well, the, the, the fruit from the vineyard ends up. Mm-hmm. Have you guys any thought about that, or is that not really in your wheelhouse? Mm. No. No, I don't really so. have many thoughts from about it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, aside from the fact that we've got, to a point, brandy to thank for some of the nice old vineyards we have, that's mm. you know certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly not the only yeah, the only source of old vineyards. I mean, I, apparently a lot of the, the really nice old Shannon that was planted in the 70s in Stellenbosch and surrounds mm. was because of Lieberstein. You know, which at one stage yes, yes, was the most popular bottled white wine in the world. Mm. Um, and that's where a lot of our old stand comes from. We had Shannon. Shannon only really took over as the most planted grape in the Cape, I think, in, in, in the um, earlier part of the of the 20th century. After Fonoxtra. Yeah. Well, not, not, yeah, it was... Um, 
<coughs> and even that. after that, it was Sinzo. It was Sam and then Sinzo um, was, was number one and then Shannon. So Shannon's rise to, to the top of the pile has been relatively recent. But it's always been here. Cool. Yeah. Well, did we miss anything in, in talking about where you guys came from and where you... Yeah. How small was our first vintage? Oh, uh, yeah. 20 it barrels? Was, 22 uh, we barrels? We bottled 18 barrels in there. Threw away five. We threw away two or three. Quite did you salt the bulk or? Um, no, no, we just chucked it on the drain. Oh, really? Yeah. We didn't know about yeah. laws. <laughs> <in those laughs> SARS. Yeah, we were always like fanatical about just trying to bottle the, the best of the vintage. It, it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a um, difficult decision because, I mean, that's all we had to sell and then we had to chuck quite a big portion of it. I think um, probably worth mentioning about Flotsam and Jetsam and what we try to do there and what we decided. Yeah, so we, we, we really wanted to make Senzo, um, you know, a few years ago. 2014 we discovered that we really wanted to make it because we like drinking it. Um, so we started this, we didn't want to, we've got this kind of white wine identity with Arlite Vineyard, so we decided to start a second brand to do uh, to do Senzo. And that thing... Why second brand? Well, because I, I didn't want to confuse the message. Um, I had this boundary drawn around the business, which is, I think, in retrospect, artificial mm-hmm. and unnatural. Um, uh, you know, and then then we started doing Shannon under Flotsam and Jetsam, and you know that whole thing. It got to a point where it looked like it really wanted to pop. You know, and then so we, earlier this year we had to make a decision about what to do with with that, and the the it feels a bit like throwing away those those few barrels of wine in 2011. You know, that that's what we're going to do with it. We're basically going to kill it because it feels like it wants to, it wants to um, distract us from okay. from the main goal, right. yeah, which is our light vineyards and which is trying to. Okay. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the original goal from Flotsam and Jetsam was to what? Just to um, to have a home for the for the grapes that couldn't go into. Cartology, basically, for the stuff, because we'd found so many cool old vineyards. They were so good that we couldn't just ignore them. Yeah, but we've got to a place now where we are going to have to ignore some some vineyards that would that are really good, but we just no, we can't do flats anymore. The pressure to grow up is too great. Yeah, it's the kind of brand that would have to get its own winery and do its own thing, and it could probably be fine, but it's always going to confuse the message. Yeah, it's always going to dilute the message. It's going to take away focus. Big time. And it already has, I think. Yeah. So we 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 stopping that thing now because we had a you know the Allied Vineyards 2017 wines, we're both so happy with and we think that they really reflect what we've been trying to build up to and do. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely time to make the call of do we want to take the path of making a little bit of really nice wine, mm-hmm. or a lot of pretty nice wine, mm-hmm. you know. So definitely yeah. stick with Plan A. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about the style of Arlet wines, because um, it's obviously the first wine was made in pretty trying style. conditions. Style. Style. Style, yeah. Dry conditions? Trying. Trying. Oh, trying. Like a uh, difficult. Uh, uh, difficult, difficult yeah. Mm, yeah. Was it? So I'm, well, I'm assuming big, that, that You wine, mean the big time? If you made that same <laughs> wine today, it would be a little bit different. Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, aesthetically, we've definitely, things have shifted a little. Mm-hmm. Or just understanding, you know, what we how to get what we really wanted in the beginning, anyway, you know. Because the words that I mean most common commonly get mentioned when we talk about Arlet wines in the, in the trade is sort of that power, precision, intensity, focus. Okay. Um, 
Well, those are probably all pretty good as long as power doesn't come power. at the expense of, <laughs> yeah. of drinkability yeah. and elegance. You know? and, and, the, and, the, and the the rise of South African um, the new wave. Mm. There is a there is a like a range of styles, obviously from Craig yeah. from you know ten point five percent up to. 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, for, for, for me, it's, um, you know, if you look at the, the with the wines that, that, that I really admire, um, in the old world, you know, um, the trends come and go, you know, we've just been through this in the, in the nineties and noughties, the whole Parker Roland kind of thing, you know, and, and, and no disrespect for those guys, you know, that they 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 uh, they did what they believed and you know and then now uh, you know the wines are, everyone is trying to make these big strong wines we all know the deal um, and then obviously the backlash the pendulum has swung right over you know to wines of you know between ten and eleven alcohol from vineyards that could potentially in my opinion be more expressive at, at you know twelve to fourteen alcohol you know it's very fashionable to say that your wine is low in alcohol but if you look at the really great houses of Europe you know if you look at Chave and Rias and Klapp and and uh, Complefant and 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 Le Fleve and guys like that, you know, they their wines are always, 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 you know, even. Well, I was also, also, talking about white wine here. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, yeah. that's well, yeah. Complefant, Weinbach, places like that. Yeah. But even so, their their wines are they don't they they haven't been following trends. You know, they they want they do what they do what the place wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no point in forcing a place to come out early because you, there's more in that vineyard. You know, there's more, the vineyard wants the same more. But if you let it hang too long, it's just, it's insipid yeah. and undrinkable. Yeah. I mean, so, everyone says the same yeah. thing, but then their opinion of where... Yeah, where that, that sweet spot is. Yeah, yeah. so for, yeah. for me, that sweet spot's between about 12 and a half and 13 and a half, up, up to 14 in some vineyards. Mm-hmm. I really think some of our vineyards are better at 14 than they would have been at 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but generally speaking, our, our stuff is, is moving closer to 13 than it used to be. And that's just the way it is. It's just understanding the vineyards better. I always wanted to make those wines, but I, and I used to think I've, got, I've nailed it now, I've got my pick. And then at and then we bloody get, you know, 0.64 conversions. And then we're sitting with some that you've picked at 21 and a half, getting bloody close to 14 alcohol. You know, it's kind of not fair. <laughs> I mean, you were talking just, earlier yeah. about um, working with farmers and changing their, um, and we'll be shortly, I don't know. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but it's 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 quite it's, a, it's an interesting sort of aside. You're saying like you can't chase a farmer's year one; you have to sort of work with them over a successive years. Yes. How is that in how how has the changing of farming um, um, affected the grapes in terms of picking dates and potential alcohols and styles and uh, great characteristics of them that way? I personally wouldn't say that picking dates have been affected much by farming, um, you know, because you know it, it could be if you were going if you if you'd been with an overcropping farmer who then started you know cropping at the right amount, an overcropped farmer would take longer to ripen because there'd be more fruit load per canopy, your sugar accumulation slower, etc. Um, 
you know, with the vineyards we're working with are always naturally very lightly cropped. And they're, all, and they're yeah. already quite old, so yeah. they're already in a good balance. Yeah. So it's much more season dependent rather than farming dependent, but I would definitely say that um, uh, with composting and um, with making sure that you've got just the right amount of shoots and grapes, not underloading and not overloading, um, but I think quality improves, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, certainly um, I'd say the vines look, look a bit happier in most cases. Mm. Uh, and does it, and do, uh, by a consequence, as the, the fruit quality goes up, does the need for sulfur and things like that reduce, or are you... Well, you I can't, you know, I've, I've, um, Susie's been out of the winery for the last few years, but basically bringing up kids. So she's kind of missed this part of it to a degree, but the, I've definitely noticed the drought years. Um, and I don't know if it's down to improvement in farming or if it's just drought conditions or what it is, but we've had, um, or if it's our pressing, I'm still trying to work it out, but we've had, uh, definitely an improvement in, in the natural pHs that we're seeing. From about, it started in 2014, 15, but really 16, 17, and 18. Um, especially 17, you know, uh, just terrific natural pHs and, and good acidities, you know. It just yeah. seems like that's improving. It could be that, that my pressing is better, you know, that we understand that better. It, it could be that we're picking a bit better. I, I don't know. And, and Malik? Um, yeah, they all go through matter. Yeah, no, no I understand. But yeah. I mean, in terms of Malik levels... Don't, don't, don't know. Is that no? Don't analyze it. Don't analyze okay. anything. Okay. Have a refractometer. Yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. I was talking to Tom <laughs> yeah. uh, recently, and he said that was a, a big part of what he's trying to do with, with farming better, is trying to reduce malic content. Okay. So when, when it does go through, no, lactic, there's less lactic. There's there. less lactic, yeah. Yeah. So it was a really yeah. interesting... Yeah. Because um, lactic does have that, that, that rich softening kind of effect, and yeah. it's, you know, and that diacetyl smell. Uh, the new wave Cape wines. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, by the time they finish with um, um, lactic and a bit of age, and, mm. and there is that sort of generosity. Mm. Um, really, I didn't know that um, farming better gets yeah, well, how to farm to malic. to um, decrease malic. You know, I'd be really interested to see what what a guy does if it's more sun exposure. Uh, what he's finding is actually working. I've yeah. certainly myself never seen a study on that. Yeah. I'm not no, saying it's just one dude saying. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, it's my own ignorance, but mm. it would be great to have high yeah. tarics yeah. with 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 no, not too high. I was also wondering if that's a common mm. thought process or a common idea, but it seems not. Like, because everybody's might mention somebody thought. Huh? <laughs> 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 well, it, it makes sense. I mean, if you you know, because that the, the, obviously the malolactic process does add kind of um, richness to the wine, but there's there's also a point at which you have to say, okay, we've we farmed well. This is these are the climatic conditions. This vintage. This is what it is, and then you need to submit yourself to that, you know. And, and if you if you're trying to shoehorn a thing into being what you want it to be, you might miss something, you know. So I think you can farm well, and then let it be what it is. And if there if there's a vintage with more malic, and you get and you get more diacetyl in the wine at the end, or if there's a, a vintage, that's that's the vintage, you know. Those are the climatic conditions that you, you know. As far as manipulating that goes, I don't know. I don't know if I'm even comfortable with that idea. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. but I think if you you're talking about farming, how he farms. No, with with the idea of of, of um, obviously you adding, have to you have to adapt to farming compost. a little bit with. <laughs> no, you have to adapt to farming a bit with for the season. Yeah, he's, he's um, but, and I'm paraphrasing here. Obviously, yeah. and um, not quoting him directly, but he was saying that the the, the, the wine is healthier yeah. if there's less malic in there. Like the, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's that's, that's, like, that's facts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So that's what he was trying. To, okay. And part of that was the. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think his end goal is. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> this he. This is one of the consequences of mm. what he's doing. Well, yeah, his end goal is to not add sulfur, so mm. he would have it to make, sense to make a plan to. Well, for, you know the 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 malolactic thing. You know, loads of winemakers block mallow for various reasons, you know, but um, I think philosophically I don't like that because it's a part of the magic of what's in the grape juice, you know, it's a natural part of the grape juice and malolactic fermentation is a natural fermentation, so it's 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 part of what's locked up in there, you know, it's like, it's like alcoholic fermentation, the only way to get the, the magic out of the grapes is, is fermentation, you know, so and all the various types of fermentation for me are like equally valid and, and should be a part of what comes out to naturally stable wine that you don't have to filter. No, that should that for me that's philosophically speaking more true. Uh, we're getting into dogma now, but that's yeah, how, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah dogma's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel that you know if you can get to a wine that's naturally stable that you can bottle without fining or filtration, then that's that's the best place. Mm. I, I just think that. Mm. Yeah, maybe I'll change, but can't see that happening. Yeah, yeah most people just want delicious stuff to drink. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true. All the, all the <laughs> cool guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, I really David. Appreciate it.